everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams from Nothing But The Truth. It's March 24, 2015. Uh, I'm going to do a reading from... Um, Albert Barnes, his commentary on uh, Revelation 13. Uh, you can find this on www.studylight.org commentaries. And it's uh, Albert Barnes' notes on the whole Bible, Revelation 13. And let's, let's magnify this a little bit so I can read it better. And uh, this is in response to the claim. Uh, unfortunately, I have to do this. I don't want to, but hopefully this will be the end of it. But by well, your Klitzman from Jukulich 66, it claims that I have my own personal private interpretation of Revelation 13, in particular Revelation 13:11. So I know this is petty beyond belief as far as the... <clears throat> accusation on his part saying that I uh, use my own private interpretation. I think I've demonstrated the show that I'm not using my own personal interpretation. I've been reading other people's interpretations and then commenting on it myself. But um, here we go again. Somebody else's interpretation of an understanding of Revelation 13. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'll post it on his uh, YouTube channel in response to his claim to me that uh, I use my own personal private interpretation. But uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah, this the reason I had the whole fallout from the show is because of this particular chapter and this and particular Revelation 13. All I did was say is that it's not true that uh, anybody who seriously studies the Bible uh, comes to con- the conclusion that the second beast in Revelations 13 is about the United States government. <clears throat> From my own personal research, I find out that a lot of people who are seriously studying the Bible come to a completely different conclusion. And to make such a bold statement without first doing enough diligent study on your own, it says something about you as a person and how easily you are to just take a jump on the first thing that comes your way. And let's understand something, too, that Europeans, I lived in Europe for many, many, many years. Not many, many, many years, but three, three years. Plus, I was married to a gal who was from Portugal, actually from East Timor. She grew up in the first part of her life, his child, and the second part of her childhood, she was in uh, Almada, Portugal, the twin city of Lisbon. Spent a lot of time over in the continent, and I can tell you emphatically that uh, the Europeans have great joy, the majority of them, in knocking America. Part of their pastime is to hate on America. Anybody who spends any time over there will know that. 
So they love to jump on the fact that the United States government is this evil, evil institution. And yeah, yeah, it, you know, all governments are. There's nothing unique about America. There was an opportunity in the time. They could have been, but it never turned out that way, just like everybody else at this point. And just part of the Roman Empire. I'm not excusing the United States government for all its behavior, what it's doing. In fact, it's how it's made its bed with Rome. Um, but it's not the only government and uh, in the past 1,500 years plus that's done the same thing, so, or hasn't done that. So, um, especially when we talk about the Western Hemisphere, Western Europe, etc. So, this is not a defense of the United States government. And it's more, I guess, a, a more superficial level as a defense of myself um, being accused of somebody who uses their own private interpretation to realize their team, which is just a flat-out lie. But what can you do about it except defend yourself for whatever it's worth? It's probably not worth much of anything, but um, still we do these things. We need to, you know, and hopefully we get some understanding of the scripture as well. So, introduction, analysis of the chapter. This chapter, and this is uh, Revelations 20, 1 through 15. I don't know why he went to switch to 20, but it will go back to 13. Sees the analysis of the book. The vision of this chapter is of two distinct beasts. And I think he meant to say uh, 13. Well, we'll see. Uh, each with special characteristics, yet closely related, deriving their power from a common source, aiding each other in the accomplishment of the same objective, the man and manifestly relating to the same power under different forms. To see the design of the chapter, it will be necessary to exhibit uh, the special characteristics of the two beasts and the points in which they resemble each other and sustain each other. Characteristics of the beast. A, characteristics of the first beast in Revelations uh, 13 through 10. Uh, it comes up out of the sea, Revelation 13, 1. And uh, most people will say, well, not most, but a lot of people, especially those who have been influenced by the Seventh-day Adventists, and folks like uh, Walter Veith will say that it's a, uh, out of the... Uh, peoples, nations, multitudes. But it also can say this. Out of the commotion, the agitation of nations, a new power springs up from those disturbed elements. B, the seven heads, ten horns, and upon the ten horns, and upon the ten, and upon its horns, ten crowns or uh, diadems. Now we're still talking about Revelations 13.1. Uh, see, it, in its general form, it resembles a leopard. Its feet are like those of a bear. Its mouth is like that of a lion. It gets connection with the great dragon, with Satan. It is indicated by the statement that it derives its power and its seat and its authority from him, Revelations 13.2, a striking representation of the fact 
that the civil and secular Roman power, which supported the Church of Rome through all its corrupt and bloody progress, with the putting forth of the power of Satan on earth. D. One of its head, one of the heads of the beast, is wounded to death. That is with a wound that is in itself mortal. This wound is, however, in some ways, as yet explained, so healed that the validity yet remains, and all the world pays homage to the beast. Revelation 13:3. A blow is aimed at this authority, which seems to be fatal, and there are some healing and restorative process by which the power is recovered, and by which the universality of the dominion and influence is again restored. E, the effects of this is the world renders homage really to the dragon, which we know Satan, uh, the source of this power, though in the form of adoration of the beast, Revelation 3, 4. This is, while the outward homage is rendered to the beast, the real worship is that of the dragon or Satan. This beast uh, is regarded as one incomparable who is like unto the beast and invincible who is able to war with him. F. In this form, the beast is endowed with a mouth that speaks great things and blasphemies. Revelation 13.5, that is, the power here referred is arrogant and reviles the God of heaven. G, the time during which he is to continue is 42 months, that is, 1260 days. Or 1,260 years, see notes from Revelation 11.2. The characteristics of the beast and his dominion are these. One opens his mouth and blasphemy against God and his church and his holy being. Revelation 13.6. Two makes war with the saints and overcomes them. Revelation 13.7. He asserts his power over all nations, Revelation 13:7. For he is worshipped by all that dwell on the earth, whose names are not in the book of life, Revelation 13:8. And then it goes, um, all are called to hear, as if to announce, as as if the announcements were important for the church, Revelation 13:9. The result or issue of the power represented by this monster, Revelation 10, it had led others into captivity and would itself be made captive. It had been distinguished for slaying others. It would itself feel the power of the sword until this accomplished, the patience and faith of the saints must be sorely tried. Revelation 13.10. And then, uh, let's see. B, characteristics of the second beast. Revelation 13.11 through 18. A, 
comes out of the earth, Revelation 13:11, having different origin from the former, not springing from the trouble elements, as of nations of strife, for but from what is firm and established, like the solid earth. B, it has two horns like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon, Revelation 13:11. It is apparently mild, gentle, and lamb-like, inoffensive, but in fact, but is in fact arrogant, haughty, and imperative. Uh-huh. Sounds like some of the people that I've been dealing with. <clears throat> and myself at times, that's for sure. Um, see, its dominion is coexistive with that of the first beast, and the effect of its influence is to induce the world to do homage to the first beast. 1312. That's a very important element right there. D has power of performing great wonders, particularly of deceiving the world by the miracles which it performs. This power is particularly manifest in restoring what might be regarded as an image of the beast which was wounded, though not put to death, and by giving life to the image causes those to put to be put to death who will not worship it. Revelations 13, verses 13 through 15. E. This beast causes a certain mark to be affixed to all, small and great, and attempts to attempts a jurisdiction over all persons so that none may buy or sell or engage in any business who have not the mark affixed to them. This is the power represented attempts to set up and control over the commerce of the world, Revelation 13 through 16. F, the way by which the power here referred to may be known is by some proper application of the number 666. This is stated in the... uh, Okay. Uh, Enamical? Enamical? Yeah. Uh, Form. Yet with such clearness that it is supposed that it would be sufficient to indicate the power here referred to. Number two, points in which two beasts resemble or sustain each other. It is manifest on the slightest inspection of the characteristics of the beasts referred to in this chapter that they have a close relationship to each other, that an important in, in, in important respects, the one is designed to sustain the other, and that both are manifestations or embodiments of the one or the same power represented by the dragon, Revelations 13.4. He is the great original source of the power of both, and both are engaged in accomplishing his purposes and are combined to keep up his dominion over the earth. The point of uh, resemblance with which it is very important to notice are the following. One, They have the same origin, that is, they both owe their power to the dragon and are designed to keep up 
his ascendancy in human affairs. Revelations 12, 3, Revelations 13, 2, Revelations 13, 4, and Revelations 13, 12. They have the same extent of power and dominion. First beast, the world wanders after the beast, Revelation 13, 3. They worship the dragon and the beast, Revelation 13, 4. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, Revelation 13, 8. The second beast, he exercises all the power of the first beast, Revelation 13, 12. He causes the earth and them that dwell, which dwell therein, to worship the first beast, Revelation 13, 12. He has the power to give life unto the image of the beast, uh, thirteen five, and he sets up uh, jurisdiction over the commerce of the world, uh, Revelation 13, verses 16 through 17. And they do the same things. Point three. First beast. Okay. Wow. Just jumped again. Really jumped. That really jumped there. I'm sorry about the delay here. Now we got to find my place again. I just really jumped. I hate this. I don't hate, but there are times when using this computer is a bit of a pain. Where did you go? This is not good. Lost my place. <clears throat> we talk about wounded. Let's go a little further here. Uh huh. They do the same things. Okay, maybe we'll just go there. I, I, I might have to redo re what I just said. Anyways, first beast. They do the same things. First beast. The dragon gives them the power of the beast. Revelation 13.4. There is given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Revelation 13.5. He opens his mouth in blasphemy against God. Revelation 13.6. It is given to him to make war against the saints and overcome them. Revelation 13.7, second beast, he exercises all the power of the first beast. Revelation 13.12, he does great wonders. Revelation 13.13, he makes fire come down from heaven in the sight of man. Revelation 13.13, he performs miracles. Revelation 13.4, he causes that as many as would not worship the first beast should be killed. Revelation 13.15, he claims dominion over all. Revelation 13.16-17. Um... One of the, the means of healing the wound, wounded head of the other and restoring his authority. Okay, first beast. One of his heads is as it were wounded to death, a wound that would be mortal if it were not healed. Revelation 13.3, second beast. Has the power to heal the wound of the first beast. Is that American? American have the power to heal the first beast? Really, the womb? 
Revelation 13:12 for it is manifest that the healing comes from some influence of the second beast. One restores life to the other when dying. First beast is wounded Revelation 13:3 his power manifested becomes ex- exhausted. The second beast causes an image of the first beast something that should resemble that or be the same power revived to be made and to be worshipped, Revelation 13, 15. All I can say is, folks, be very careful who you listen to and just because they quote something and they sound like they're really authoritative doesn't mean they're actually speaking the truth or the whole truth. And here's the other thing, too, that's really ironic. Tom, for us to show a recording and a show on on my show, a recording, about flattery. And isn't it ironic that what's going on between Yerk and Tom is just that, a whole bunch of flattery. Um, uh, instead of searching for the truth, they just seem to be sucking up to each other. And uh, all I can say for Tom Press, you'd be very careful who you're associating with because... Uh, for someone who's so concerned about flattery, you've certainly found someone who can give you a lot of flattery. And uh, you better be careful who you're associating with. That's all i got to say. It's okay that you just you uh, separated from me, disfellowship me over this. I can live with that. I've grown immensely from it. But uh, for you, I forewarn you, be careful who you are associating with. I know it feeds your your ego and it makes you feel important that finally somebody is quote unquote listening to you, but be very careful. Anyways, they have the same general characteristics. <clears throat> First beast has a mouth given to him to speak great things and blasphemies. Revelation thirteen five opens his mouth and blasphemy thirteen six. Bless me in the name of God and his tabernacle of his people. Revelation 13.6 makes war with the saints and overcomes them. Overcomes them. 13.7. Second beast speaks like a dragon. Revelation 13.11 deceiving those that dwell upon the earth. Revelation 13.14 is a persecuting power causes those who would not worship the image of the first beast to be killed. Revelation 13.15 This from this comparison of the two beasts The following things are plain. One, that the same general power is referred to and that they are both modifications of one general dominion on the earth, having the same origin, having the same locality, and aiming at the same result. Two, it is the same general uh, domination prolonged. That is, the one is and another from, but the continuation of the other. Three, one becomes weak or is in some way likely to lose its authority and power and is revived by the other. That is, the other restores its waning authority and sets up a substantially the same dominion again over the earth. Now remember, when we say earth, it's not it might not be particularly talking about the the globe the earth the people are like it, but it's a planet we call it a planet um 
the world as a whole, but the earth could be, back by that time, we could be also just talking about the Roman Empire. Something to think about. I know that that offends our ego and our importance, self-importance, and thinking that we are something uniquely different. Unfortunately, it's turning out to be clear to me, at least, that we are not. So anyways, remember, the Earth could be actually talking about the Roman Empire itself and cause the same great power to be acknowledged on the Earth. Uh, but one runs into the, uh, the other, that is, one naturally pr- produces or is followed by the other. Five, one sustains the other. Six, they therefore have very close relations to each other, having the same objective, uh, proposing the same general characteristics, and accomplishing uh, substantially the same thing on the earth. What this was will be better seen after the exposition of this chapter shall have been made. It may be sufficient here to remark that on the very face of this, the Roman power suggested to the mind as a mighty persecuting power in the two forms of civil and ecclesiastical authority, both having the same origin, aiming at the same objective, the one sustaining the other, both combined to keep up with dominion of the great enemy of God and man upon the earth. It is impossible also not to be struck with the resemblance in many particulars between the vision and that of Daniel 7 and to be impressed with the conviction that they are intended to refer to the same kingdom in general and to the same events. But this will be made more manifest in the exposition of this chapter, verse 1. And I stood upon the sands of the sea. The sands upon the shores of the sea, that is, he seems to stand there and then had a vision of a beast rising out of the waters. The reason for this representation may perhaps have been that among the agents of the sea was regarded as an appropriate place for the origin of huge and terrible monsters, Professor Stewart and Loco. This vision strongly resembles that of Daniel 7-2, where the prophet saw four beasts coming in succession from the sea. Sea notes on that place. In Daniel, the four winds of heaven are described as striving upon the great sea, Daniel 13.2. An agitated ocean represents the nations in commotion. Or in a state of disorder and anarchy, the four beasts represent four successive kingdoms that will spring up. See also notes in Daniel 7.2. In the passage before us, John indeed describes no storm or tempest, but the sea itself, as compared with the land. See the notes of Revelation 13.11. Represents an agitated or unsettled state of things, and we should naturally look for that in the rise of the power here referred to. 
if the reference be to the civil or secular Roman power that has always appeared in connection with the papacy. The papacy. And that has always followed its design. Then it is true that it rose amidst the agitations of the world and from the state of commotion that might well be represented by the restless ocean. The sea is either the sea in either case naturally describes a nation or people, for this image is frequently so employed in scripture. Compare as above Daniel seven two and Psalm sixty five seven and Jeremiah fifty one forty two and Isaiah sixty five verse five, excuse me, Revelations ten two. The natural idea, therefore, in this passage would be that the power that was represented by the beast would spring up among the nations when restless and unsett- or unsettled like the waves of the ocean. And I saw a beast. Now, of course, he's, he's now taking the first one apart, right? So this is part of verse 1. I saw a beast. Daniel saw four in succession. Daniel 7, verses 3 through 7 all different, yet succeeding each other. John saw two successions, yet strongly resembling each other. Revelation 13.1 and Revelation 13.11 on a general meaning of the word of the beast. And then it goes to this Greek word, uh, therion. See notes in Revelation 11.7. The beast here is evidently a symbol of some power or kingdom that would arise in the future times. See notes, Daniel 7, 3. Having seven heads. So also the, the dragon is represented in Revelations 12, 3. See notes on the passage. A representation there is of Satan as a source of all the power lodged in the two beasts. And John subsequently saw in Revelation 7 to 9, referring to substantially to the same vision, it, it, it is said that the seven heads are seven mountains, and there can be no difficulty, therefore, in referring this to the seven hills on which the city of Rome was built. Compared notes to Revelations 2.3, consequently, this must be regarded as designed in some way to be a representation of Rome. The Ten Horns. See, this also explains in the notes in Revelations 2.3. Compare also the, the more extended illustration in the notes of Daniel 7.25. Following, the reference here is to Rome and, or to one Roman power uh, contemplated as made up of ten sub, subordinate kingdoms and therefore subsequently to the envision or invasion of the northern hordes and to a time when the papacy was about to rise. Compare Revelations 17.12. And these ten horns, which thou sawest, are ten kings, kingdoms, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive the power as a king with the beast. For a full illustration of this, see the copious notes at the close of the seventh chapter of Daniel. Upon his horns 
ten crowns. The Greek ten diadems. See the notes for Revelation 12.3. These indicated dominion or authorities. In Revelation 12.3, the dragon is represented as having seven diadems on his head. Here, and the beast is represented as having ten. The dragon there represents the Roman denomination as such. The the seven-hilled, seven-headed power, and therefore properly describes as having seven diadems. Uh, The beast here represents the Roman power as now broken up into ten denominations, which sprung up. Uh, see the notes of Daniel as above, from one original Roman power, and that became henceforward the supporters of the papacy, and therefore properly represented here as having ten diadems. And by the way, just because a person talks really authoritative and is a verbal bully, a verbal verbal bully, doesn't mean that they actually know what they're talking about. In fact, my observation has been usually people like that are hiding their weakness. And what that weakness is is that they haven't seriously studied the issue, whatever it may be. And because they so much want to be, quote, unquote, taken seriously and be an authority, what they do is then they usually raise their voice and talk real assertive, and they usually don't back up their claims with really heavy, heavy uh, well, with proof. Um, especially those areas where they are challenged. And instead of seeing it as an opportunity to grow, they see themselves as being threatened and challenged. It's okay to be wrong. For we all are. In many, many different areas of our life. How do we grow and change and correct that error unless we say, well, maybe I need to take another look at what I'm saying to make sure that I'm actually speaking the truth. And, of course, that was, has happened to me in this journey on this show is that I've been wrong about many things, and I've had to swallow crow and say, you know what, I'm wrong. I was wrong. I apologize. God, please forgive me in the name of Jesus Christ, and hopefully you folks can forgive me too for when I'm wrong. But there's no way to actually grow if you get stuck in your self-righteousness. And, uh, yeah, I'm talking to a certain person, but more than that, I'm talking to my own self, as usual. And so, hopefully I can remember this as I go on through life and my journey of learning the truth, to always double-check what I'm saying. And it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to go down the wrong path if you correct yourself and get back on the right path, right? Uh, It's okay. And, yeah, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow if you spend a lot lot of time studying something thinking you're totally convinced about a certain area only to find out you're wrong. But that's not uniquely my issue. That happens to all of us. And so... That's okay. 
The important thing is to keep on plugging along and to listen to other voices, not just the same ones over and over again. Um, although you're listening to my voice, I hope you recognize the fact that it's not uh, uh, my private interpretation in anything. I'm always reading other people's works because I'm sharing other people's works because you know I value that and I recognize that that's how we build a consensus of any kind of understanding. Um, or what might be or should be the truth. If all you ever heard was my opinion all the time, then you would be listening to my voice. But because I've shared with you these different articles from different people's perspectives, uh, hopefully you recognize that I am developing a sound uh, presentation of what what facts we can gather, you know what I mean? So it says, upon the, And upon his heads was the name blasphemy. Now we're still dealing with the first verse of chapter 13 of Revelation. Revelation. That is, the whole power was blasphemous in its claims and pretensions. The word blasphemy here seems to be used in the sense that the title and attributes were claimed by and which belonged only to God. Um, the meaning of the word blasphemy, see notes on Matthew uh, 9.3 and Matthew 26.65. The meaning here is that each one of these heads appears to have a frontlet with an inscription that was blasphemous or that ascribes some attribute to this power that properly belongs to God and that the whole power thus assumed was a denigration of attributes and claims of God. Uh, a derogation. Der, not denigration. Derogation of the attributes and claims of God. And regard to the property of the description considered as applicable to the papacy. See notes two, on Second Thessalonians two four. Mm-hmm. Verse two. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. For a description of the leopard, see the notes on Daniel seven six. It is it is distinguished for bloodthirstiness and cruelty, and thus became becomes the emblem of fierce, tyrannical power. It is, in its general character, it resembles a lion, and a lion and a leopard are often referred to together. In this description, it is observable that John was has combined in one animal or a monster. All those which Daniel brought successfully on the scene of action as representing different empires. Thus, Daniel 7, verses 2 through 7, the lion is introduced as the symbol of the Babylonian power, the bear, the symbol of Medo-Persians, the leopard as the symbol of the Macedonians, or the or Grecian or the Greek empire, and uh, a nondescript animal, fierce, cruel, and mighty, with two horns as a symbol of Rome. 
see the nose in the passage. In John, there is one animal representing the Roman power, as if we're made up of all these. A leopard with the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, with two horns and with the general description of a fierce monster. There was an obvious uh, propriety in this. In speaking of the Roman power, for it was, in fact, made up of empires represented by the symbol, other symbols in Daniel, and combined in itself all the elements of the terrible and, and the oppressive which had existed in the aggregate and the other great empires that preceded it. At the same time, there was an obvious propriety in the symbol itself. For the bloodthirstiness and cruelty of the leopard would well represent the ferocity and cruelty of the Roman power, especially as John saw it here as great antagonistic power of the true church, sustaining the papal claim and the thirsty and thirsty for blood. Uh, and his feet were as the feet of a bear. See notes of Daniel 7, 5. The idea here seems to be that of strength, that the strength of a bear resides much in its feet and claws. At the same time, there is the idea of the combination of fierce qualities, as if the bloodthirstiness, cruelty, and the agility of the leopard were united with the strength of the bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. She knows Daniel 7, 4. The mouth of the lion is made to seize and hold its prey and is indicative of the character of the animal as a beast of prey. John has thus brought together the qualities of activity, bloodthirstiness, bloodthirstiness, excuse me, strength, ferocity, and all the symbolic, all is symbolic of the power that was intended to be represented. It is hardly necessary to say that this description is one that would apply well in all respects to Rome, nor is it necessary to say that if it would, or if it be supposed that he meant a to refer to Rome, this is such a description as he would have adopted. And the next part of is and the dragon. See notes on Revelations twelve thirteen. Gave him his power. Satan claimed in the time of the Savior all the power over the kingdoms of the world and asserted that he could give them to whomsoever he pleased. He notes on Matthew 4, 8, 9, how far the power of Satan in this respect may, may extend. It may not be possible to determine, but it cannot be doubted that the Roman power seems to have such an origin and that, in the main, it was such as, on the uh, supposition, it would be, in, in, in its arrogance and haughtiness, 
and its thirsty his thirst for dominion and its persecutions, it had such characteristics as we may suppose Satan would originate. If therefore, as the whole connection leads us to suppose, this refers to the Roman secular power considered as the support of the papacy, there is the most evidence priority in this representation. And his seat, the word throne. The word properly means a seat and, and then a high seat and a throne as that on which the king sits. Here it refers to the power as exercising dominion on the earth and great authority. The authority was great. It extended over a large part of the earth, and alike in its extent and character, it was much. It was such as we may suppose Satan would set up in the world. Verse three. Now, yes, we only are now on verse three of verse, uh, chapter thirteen of Revelation. Okay, I saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death. The phrase wounded to death means properly that it received a mortal wound. That is, a wound would have been mortal if it had been, if it had not been healed. A blow was struck that would be naturally fatal, but there was something that preserved or prevented uh, the fatal result. John does not say, however, by whom the wound was inflicted, nor does he describe further the nature of the wound. He says that one of the heads, that is, one of the seven heads, was thus wounded. In Revelation 17:9, he says that seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. In Revelation 17:10, he says there are seven kings. And this would lead us to suppose that there were administrations or forms of dominion or dynasties that were uh, presented to the eye of John, and that while the number seven, as applied to the heads, so far identified the power as to fix its location on the seven hills, Revelations 9 excuse me, 79. Um, in, uh, in another respect, also the number seven suggests suggested forms of administration of uh, dynasties. Uh, Revelation 17.10. What is meant by saying that one of these heads was wounded to death has been among the most perplexing of all the inquiries pertaining to the book of Revelation. The use of the word seven and an explanation in Revelation 17.9 makes it morally certain that Rome, in some form of its administration, is referred to. Of this, there can be no doubt. And in this, all agreed are agreed. It is not, however, the papal power as such that is here referred to. For A, the papal power is designated under the image of the second beast, and P, the description pertaining to the first beast are all applicable to secular power. And C, there was 
no form of papal spiritual dominion which would properly correspond with what is said in Revelations 17.10. The reference in this place is therefore to Rome considered as a civil or secular power. Yet Rome regarded as giving support to the second beast, the papal power. So once again, here's somebody else who's reminding us from their extensive study that the second beast has nothing to do with the United States, but it's the papal power. Goodness gracious. And you guys just fellowship me over that. This is something a lot about you guys. The general idea here is, is that the state of things would exist in regard to that power at the time referred to as if one of the seven heads of the monster should receive a wound which would be fatal if it were not healed in some way. That is, its power would be weakened, its dominion would be curtailed, and that portion of its power would have come to an end. If there had not been something which would, as it were, restore it and save it from the wrath, was impending, the great point of difficulty relates to the particular application of it, to the facts in history that would correspond with the symbol. On this, there have been almost as many opinions as there have been interpreters of the apocalypse, and there is no impropriety in saying that none of the solutions are wholly free from objection. The main difficulty, so far as interpretation proposed above is concerned, is in fact that one of the seven heads is referred to as wounded unto death, as if one seventh part of the power was in danger. I confess I am not able to wholly, not able wholly to solve this difficulty, which is very humble and honest and. Most people who flat out say they know what they know, uh, it's because they haven't thoroughly researched it. But after all, it is certain that the meaning is is that just one-seventh part of the power was in peril, that the blow affected just such a portion, and it might be described as one-seventh part, is not the number seven so used in the scriptures as to denote considerable portion, a portion quite material and, and, and important? And may not all that is intended here be that John saw a wound inflicted on the mighty power which would have been fatal if it had not been marvelously healed? And was it not true that the Roman civil and secular power was so waning and decaying that it might properly be represented as if one of the seven heads of the monster had received a fatal wound until its power was restored by the influence of the spiritual dominion of the Church of Rome. If this be the correct exposition, then what is implied here may be thus stated. A. The general subject 
of the representation is the Roman power as seen at first in its vigor and strength. B, then that the power is said to be greatly weakened, as if one of its heads were smitten with a deadly wound. C, then the wound was healed. This power was restored by being brought into alliance with the papacy. That is, the whole Roman power over the world would have died away if it had not been restored and perpetuated by means of this new and mighty influence, Revelations 13.12. Under this new form, Rome had all the power which it had ever had and was guilty of all the atrocities of which it had ever been guilty. It was Rome still. Every wound that was inflicted on that power by incursions of the barbarians and by the dividing off of parts of the empire was healed by the papacy and under this form of dominion became as wide and as formable as under its ancient mode of administration. If a more particular application of this is sought for, I see no reason to to doubt that it may be found in the quite common interpretations of the passages given by Protestants that the reference is to the forms of administration under which this power appears appeared in the world. The number of distinct forms of government which the Roman power assumed from first to last was the following. Kings, consuls, dictators, uh, and here we go, decemvers, I'm probably not saying right, decemvers, anyways, it's D-E-C-E-M-V-E-R-S. So, I'm going to say decemvers, military tribunes and emperors. So military tribunes and emperors. This seven forms of administration were at least sufficiently prominent and marked to be represented by this symbol or to attract the attention of one contemplating this formal power. For it was under these forms that its consequences had been achieved in its dominion set up over the earth. In the time of John, in the time of Con- in the time con- con- contemplated, 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 excuse me, in the, this vision, all these had passed away from the imperial. That, too, was soon to be smitten with a deadly wound by the invasion of the northern hordes, and that would have wholly and forever ceased if it had not been restored, the deadly wound being healed by the influence of the papal power, giving Rome its former ascendancy. She notes at the close of Revelation 13.15, and his deadly wound was healed. That is, as explained above, the waning Roman secular power was restored by its connection with spiritual power, the papacy. This was a, a simple matter of fact. 
that the waning secular power of Rome was thus restored by connecting itself with the spiritual and ecclesiastical power, thus prolonging what might probably be called the Roman denomination far beyond what would be what would otherwise have been and be this would be properly represented by just the symbol employed here the fatal wound inflicted on the head and the healing of the wound or preventing what would naturally be the effects on the fulfillment of this, see the notes of Revelation, once again, 13:15, at the close. And all the world wandered after the beast. Okay. The word used here is thalmazo, that's T-H-A-U-M-A-Z-O, means properly to be astonished, to be amazed than to wonder at, than to admire or follow. Robinson lexicon. In Revelation 13.4, it is said that the world worshipped the beast. And the general idea is that the beast received such a universal reverence or inspired such a universal awe as to be properly called worship or adoration. There can be no doubt of the proprieties of this. Consider as applicable to the secular Roman power, which sustained the papacy. The homage was as wide as the limits of the Roman emperor, empire had ever been and might be said to embrace all the world. Okay, now we're now getting on verse 4. Now, yes, this is going to be an extent, uh, exhaustive an extensive study, and I hope that people will listen to this and let go of their delusion about this has anything to do with the United States. And also uh, to defend myself against the false accusations and claims that I am using private interpretation of Revelation 13. Now, will the people who are accusing me of this, that in particular being Jord Glissman, will repent of that? I doubt it. <laughs> but if they do, that's cool. Uh, it would take one heck of a man to do that because he would have to swallow home like a crow and um, he would have to do something about that and actually act, behave like a Christian, I guess. That's a tough thing to do. I know it is. I struggle with it myself, so. Anyway, we're going to take a little break here. We've been doing this for, uh, how long have we been doing this? Anyways, I need a break. So I'm going to take a five-minute break, come back, then we're going to do verse four. Uh, so far, we're doing a lot of reading and studying. And uh, this this study of, of Revelation 13 is no joke, is it? So anyways, hopefully the biggest thing is, I hope you realize that uh, Revelation 13 is about Rome. You know, we're talking about the secular and the ecclesiastical branches of the Roman Empire. I know that might sound unsatisfactory because it's not talking about us, but that's tough. 
we are not the center of the universe. So. Anyway, I'll be back in about five.
Sorry about the delay there, folks. Oh, I had to deal with a few things. One of the things I had to deal with is the fact that they had this humongous water bill. I had some problems with the water bill. It's causing a lot of stress. Looks like Ryan sent a message to me. Hey, I'll have to check that out later. Sorry, Ryan. Um, anyways, it's like the water bill's like a, worth a thousand bucks. Had a leak and all that. I don't know how to deal with that. So something else. There was always something. Anyways, let's get back to this first four. They worship the dragon which gave the power to the beast. Well, guess four. Sorry about the delay there. So anyways, here we go. See notes from Revel, uh, uh, Revelation 12.3, Revelation 13.2. That is, they, in fact, worship him. The word worship, and then it gives the Greek form of pro proconio, uh, um, is not always, however, used in a religious sense. It means properly to kiss, to kiss towards anyone. That is, to kiss his own hand or to extend it towards a person in token of respect and homage. Robinson Lexicon. Compare Job 31.27. Then it means to show respect to one who is our superior to kings and princes parents and preeminently to God. Uh, see the notes from Matthew 2.2. 2. The word may be used here to mean that homage or reverence as to a higher power was rendered to the dragon. Note strictly that he was openly worshipped in a religious sense of God. Can anyone doubt that this was the case under the papal Rome? or under papal Rome, that the power which was set up under that entire denomination, civil and ecclesiastical, was such a Satan approved and such as he sought to have established on the earth. And can anyone doubt that the homage thus rendered, so contrary to law of God, and so much that the... Uh, derogation of his claims was in fact homage rendered to this presiding spirit of evil and they worshiped the beast that is they didn't they did it as a, immediately specified by saying that he was incomparable or invincible in other words that he was superior to all others and that he was almighty for the fulfillment of this, see the notes from 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Who is like unto the beast? That is, he is to be regarded as unequaled and as supreme. This was, in fact, ascribing honors to him which belonged only to God. And this was the manner in which the civil and secular power was regarded in the period 
here supposed to be referred to. It was the policy of the rulers and the princes in those times to augment in every way possible the respect in which they were held, to maintain that they were the vice-regents of heaven, to claim for themselves sacredness of character and of person, and to secure from the people a degree of reverence which was in fact idolatrous. Never was this more marked than in the times when the papacy had the ascendancy, for it was its policy to promote reverence for the power that sustained itself and to secure for itself the idolatrous venerations of the people. Who is able to make war with him? That is, he is invincible. They thus attributed to him omnipotence, an attribute belonging only to God. This found a fulfillment in the honor shown to the civil authorities which sustained the papacy. For the policy was to impress the public mind with the belief that the power was invincible. In fact, it was so regarded, nothing was able to resist the absolute uh, despotism and authority of the princes and the rulers that were allied with the papal rule was the most absolute kind, and the subjugation of the world was complete. There was no civil, as there was no religious liberty. The whole arrangement was so ordered as to subdue the world to an absolute and controllable power. Verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. John does not say by whom this was given, but we may suppose that it was by the dragon, who is said in Revelation 13:2 to have given him his power and seat and authority. The fulfillment of this is found in the claims set up by the princes and rulers here referred to, that mighty secular power that sustained the papacy, that was in some sort a part of the papacy itself. This arrogant cl- these arrogant claims consisted in the assertion of the divine right. I'm even changing listening to this and reading it. This makes even more sense than the things that I've read. But in the first piece would certainly be the secular power. Uh, it makes even more sense than what I was asserting before that it was the pagan Roman Empire, although certainly basically the same thing, but um, the secular power now makes even more sense. How we learn and grow. Okay, uh, these arrogant claims consist of the assertion of divine right and the power assumed over liberty, the property, and the consciousness of the people in the arbitrary comments that were issued and in the right asserted of giving absolute law. The language used here is the same as is found in Daniel 7-8 when speaking of the little horn. In this horn we were eyes like the eyes of the man 
and a mouth speaking great things. For an illustration of the meaning of this, see the notes and passages compared to note Daniel 7.25. And blasphemy. So, verse 5 once again. And it was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. That is, the whole power represented by the beast will be blasphemous. See notes of Revelation 13.1, compare notes of Daniel 7.25. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Three and a half years reckoned as months, 1260 days reckoning uh, 30 days for a month, or 1260 years regarding the days as prophetic days. For the evidence that this is to be so regarded, see the notes of Daniel 7.25. This is the same period that we uh, meet with in chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, 2, and in chapter uh, 12, 6. See the notes uh, on these places. This fact proves that the same power is referred to in these places and in Daniel, and this fact may be regarded as a confirmation of the views here taken, that the power here referred to is designed to have a connection in some form with the papacy. The duration of the existence of this power is the same as what is everywhere ascribed to the papacy. In the passages which refer to it, all the circumstances, as before remarked, show that the same general power is referred to by the two beasts which are described in, cha- in this chapter. If so, the continuance and duration may be supposed to be the same. And this is indicated in the passage before us, where it is said that it would be 1260 years. In regard to the application of this to the papal power and the manner in which it, which the calculation is to be made of the duration of that power, see notes uh, Daniel 7:25. And the remarks at the end of the chapter. The meaning of the passage before us, uh, I take to be that the papal power, considered as a civil or secular institution, will have, from the time when that properly commenced, a duration of 1,206 years. In the scriptures, there is nothing more definite in regard to any future event than this. Verse 6. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God and to blaspheme his name. By his own arrogant claims and by his assumed authority in matters of conscience, by setting aside the divine authority and by impious declarations to der- in derogation of the divine claims, see notes Revelation 13.1, and his tabernacle, literally his tent. And then it's uh, the Greek word is uh, skene, 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 like that. It's S K E N E N. This is the word which is commonly applied to the sacred tent or tabernacle among the Hebrews, in which the ark was kept, which was the seat of the Jewish worship before the building of the temple. It is thus used to denote a place of worship considered as a dwelling place of God and is 
in this sense, apply to heaven, Hebrews 8.2 and Hebrews 9.11 and Revelation 15.5. It seems to be used here in a general sense to denote the place where God was worshipped. And the meaning is that there would be a course of conduct in regard to true church, the dwelling, the place of God on earth, which could probably be regarded as blasphemy. Let anyone remember that the anathemas and excommunications uttered against the Waldenses and the Albigenses and those who kindred spirits that appeared in the long period of the papal rule. He will find no difficulty in perceiving a complete fulfillment of all that is here said. And them that dwelled in heaven. The true worshipers, the members of the true church, represented as dwelling in the holy tabernacle. No one acquainted with the reproaches cast on the devoted and sincere followers of the Savior during the dark ages of the papal rule can fail to see that there was in that complete fulfillment of all that is here predicted. Verse 7, And it was given unto him, by the same power that taught him to blaspheme God and his church. See notes on Revelations 13.2 and Revelations 13.5. Make war with the saints. To make war with the saints. See this fully illustrated in the notes of a papal passage of Daniel 7.21 at the end of this chapter. And overcome them. In those wars... This was abundantly fulfilled in the wars with the Waldenses and with the Albigenses and the other sincere followers of the Savior in the time of the papal persecutions. The language used here is the same as what was found in Daniel 7.21. And the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. See the notes on the passage. And power was given him. See notes from Revelation 13. Over all kindred tongues and nations. For the meaning of those words, see the notes on Revelation 7 9. The meaning here is that, the, that, that this dominion was set up over the world. Compare Daniel 7 25. The fact that so large a portion of the kingdom of earth was under the influence of the papacy and sustained it, and the claim was set up to universal dominion to the right uh, disposing kings and giving away kingdoms corresponds entirely with the language used here. Verse 8. And all the well that dwelled upon the earth shall worship him. That is, as immediately stated, all whose names are not in the book of life on the word worship. See the notes of Revelation 13.4. Whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb, that is, of the Lord in Jesus, the Lamb of God. See the notes from uh, Philemon uh, 4.3. Compare the notes on John 1.29. The representation here is that the Lord Jesus keeps a book and register in which a record of the names of all who shall obtain it everlasting life. Slain from the foundations of the world. See notes from Revelations 5, 6. Compare the notes on Revelations uh, 3, 5. 
the meaning here is not that he was actually put to death from the foundation's world, but that the intention to give him for a sacrifice was formed then, and that it was so certain that it might be spoken of as actually then occurring. See Romans 4.17. The purpose was so certain, it was so constantly represented by a bloody sacrifice from the earliest ages, all uh, typifying uh, uh, the further the future Savior, that it might be said that he was slain from the foundation of the world. Professor Stewart, however, um, supposes that this phrase should be connected with the former members of the sentence, whose names are now are not written from the foundation of the world in the life book of the Lamb, which was slain. Either construction makes good sense, but it seems to me that what is found in our common verses, versions is the most simple and natural. Verse 9, If any man have an ear, let him hear. See notes from Revelation 2, 7. The idea here is, is that he that was here said respecting the beast was worthy of special attention as it pertained to most important events of history of the church. 10, verse 10, and he leadeth into captivity. This is clearly intended to refer to the power or government which is denoted by the beast. A form of expression here in the Greek is special. If anyone leadeth into captivity, and I'm not even going to bother trying to read the Greek in it, but the statement is general and is intended to make use of a great, a general and prevalent truth with reference to the particular case. The general truth is that people will, in the course of things, be dealt with according to their character and their treatment of others. The nations characterized by war and conquest will be subject to the evils of the war and conquest, and that they may expect to share the same lot which they have brought onto others. This general statement accords with the Savior say with what the Savior says in Matthew twenty six fifty two in all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. This has been abundantly illustrated in the world and it is very important admonition excuse me to nations not to indulge in the pro- purposes of conquest and to individuals not engaged in strife and litigation. I'm glad that I don't have to feel that. The particular idea here is that it would be a characteristic of the power here referred to that it would lead others to captivity. This would be fulfilled if it was the characteristics of the power to invade other countries and to make their inhabitants prisoners of war. If it made slaves of other people, if it set up an unjust dominion over other people, or if it was distinguished for persecuting and imprisoning the innocent or for depriving the nations of liberty, 
it is unnecessary to say that this is strictly descriptive of Rome, considered in any or even every point of view, whether under the Republic or the Empire, whether secular or ecclesiastical, whether pagan or papal, in the following forms there has been a complete fulfillment under that mighty power that was here said. A, in the desire to conquest or of extending its dominion and, of course, leading others captive as prisoners of war and subjugating them to slavery. And, of course, if we look at the European colonization of the world, that is what has happened for many, 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 many hundreds or, let's say, centuries. And as of yet, the United States government cannot be honestly accused of that. With all its sins and all its things that this country is guilty of, the one thing that cannot be accused of is of yet, as of yet, the colonization of the whole of, of and the spreading of this filthiness of conquest uh, throughout the world. Now, it's certainly been in wars, and in many wars in the past 50 years, and it's certainly behaving very bad, and it's certainly acting like uh, the first beast in Revelation 13, but it certainly is the second beast. And even that statement is disqualified by the fact of history in the European Empire the Roman Empire, and the brutal and unflattering realization that the United States government is nothing more than a satellite state, a puppet of the Roman Empire. Darn. And you think we were something more special than that. That really is a bummer, isn't it? Number uh, okay, B, in its persecution of true Christians alike persuaded under the pagan and papal form of administration, C, especially the imprisonment of practice under the Inquisition, where tens of thousands have been reduced to the worst kind of captivity, that's for sure. In every way, this description is applicable to Rome as seeking to lead the world captive or to subject it to its own absolute sway, shall go into captivity as a just recompense for subjecting others to bondage, and as an illustration of general principle of divine administration, this is yet a great in great measure to be fulfilled, and as I understand it, it discloses the matter in which the papal secular power will come to an end. It will be it will be by being subdued so that it might seem to be more captive and led off by some victorious host. Rome now is practically held in subjugation by foreign arms and has no true independence. Perhaps this will be more and more as so as its ultimate fall approaches. Um, he that killeth with the sword. See the notes as above in Matthew twenty six fifty two. 
There can be no doubt that this is applicable to Rome in all the forms of its administration considered as a pagan power and considered as a nominally Christian power, either with reference to its secular and its spiritual dominion. Compute the number of the human beings that have been put to death by the Roman power, and no better language could have been chosen to characterize it than what it used here, killed with the sword. Compare the notes of Daniel 7, verses 24-28. Must be killed with the sword. Uh, so we get an idea here of what the uh, future of Rome is. Dang. This dominion must be brought to an end by war and slaughter. Nothing is more probable than this in itself. Nothing could be more in accordance with the principles of divine dealings with the world. Such a power as that of Rome will not be likely to be overcome by the forces of arms and probably is that it will ultimately be overthrown in a bloody revolution or by foreign conquest. Indeed, there are not a few intimations now that this result is hastening on. Italy is becoming impatient with secular power swayed. And of course, this is a dated exposition of Revelation 13. But Italy itself still is in that total mass, isn't it? Full of idolatry and superstition and its governance in absolute mass, so one pays attention. Hey, seeing the... Okay. Uh, okay. It, Italy is becoming impatient with the secular policy in connection with the papacy in sight of the for freedom, and it is every way probable that the land would have been free, that the secular power of the papacy, if not every form of the papacy itself, would have come to an end in the, the late convulsion in 1848. Oh, something happened in 1848, huh? That's a date I haven't heard yet. If it had not been for the intervention of France and Austria, a period designated by prophecy for the final overthrow uh, that the power had not arrived. But nothing can secure its continuance for any very considerable period longer. Well, you know what? Uh, he's not, he wasn't too correct about that, but it's interesting that he brought up 1848. And that would be an interesting date to find out because once again, we keep on hearing that, that you know that Rome received its moral wound in 1798. Of course, in this argument, he's not recognizing it. And then, of course, he's living past. This is written past 1798. Someone who's been obviously paying attention during the 19th century what was going on with Rome and the papacy and scripture. And he's not saying specifically so that the papacy is dead during that time. Now certainly it's it's floundering it's uh during that time. It is struggling in finding its place and everything. Although if you look at Tupper Saucy's work once again, was it really or was it just re 
forming itself. But maybe for the final push, I don't know. But if you look at the Jesuits and their, how their machinations are and how they play games and all that, and one of the things they do very well is, is convince you that they are lamb-like and that they are innocent or that they are you know, other than what they really are. So, one of these days we'll go into more detail about that. We'll go back to reading Pepper Saucy's book. But in the meantime, we're going to read this. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That is the trial of their patience and their faith. Nowhere on earth have the patience and the faith of the saints been put to a severer test than under Roman persecution. The same idea occurs in Revelation 14.12. Verse 11. Now here we are going to deal with the second beast. And I beheld another beast. Compare the notes of Revelation 13.1. This is what's so distinct from the first that its characteristics could be described, though, as shown by the analysis of the chapter, there was, in many points, a strong resemblance between them. The relations between the two will be more fully indicated in the notes. And I don't know, folks, but I hope you're realizing something else that I'm realizing, that we do have to go back in history, not only secular, secular history, but we also have to do with our ecclesiastical history or the history of the church. Probably a better way of saying it. We have to look at people like this guy, like Alberto, or Albert, excuse me, Barnes, um, and other folks like them and see how they saw things. Because obviously, in this day and age, we don't see things very clearly, do we? As much as we think that we really are on top of things, Unfortunately, we were not really not. And to judge the world based on our own, say, lenses, or our own view of the way the world is, which is very limited, if we're honest, without listening to other people throughout the past, uh, we can, it's very hard to, to develop a clearer picture of what's really going on. And then we're easily swayed by folks, whatever their intentions are, which I find very dubious at this point, especially blaming the United States and connecting the United States with Revelations 13, um, that we need to really challenge what they say. If we challenge what they say and it still stands firm, then it's true. But if it's all strong of heart for your eyes, then there's something false about it. There's something wrong about it. And we have to be honest with that, too. And we cannot negate hundreds, a thousand plus years, 1,500 years, 2,000 years of history and think that all everything is about us. It's, it's human nature to do that. What do they call that? Annihilationism or something like that? Like every generation thinks that they're the ones that's the last generation for the past 2,000 years? I don't know if you realize that, but every generation of Christians is believed that their, their generation was it. And every one of them had valid reasons to think that. And yet, all generations were proved wrong. Now, we think that, and there seems to be this tendency that we have as Christians 
because of how bad the world really is, because our eyes are opened up to the realization of how wicked the world is and how wicked men have been running the world in our day, that we make the mistake also of forgetting that it's been that way all along. And that um, somehow that we are in a uniquely different uh, have a uniquely different experience. Now, yeah, we can look at technology. We can look at the type of wars we have. We can look at the degree of magnitude of how wicked things are. But you need to remember, we don't live under the sword. We live under machine guns. And let's, let's think of something here, any bombs and all that. Back during that time, imagine how horrendous it was to die with a sword. That must have been horrendous. Um, not to say that anyone's better than the other, but let's remember that, you know, with a gun, at least the potential of dying right away with a sword, unless you're, even if your head was cut off, you're still to be living through it for a short while, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like a chicken gets his head cut off and running around. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it was horrendous back then. It was wicked as beyond our comprehension, as wicked as it is today. And for us, as Christians, I think it's a fatal flaw at this point to think that, you know, if, if every other generation said that they were the last generation, that it potentially is a fatal flaw always to think that we are the last generation. And one of the, the, the horrendous things that happens is because of that, we start pointing fingers at the wrong people as far as what the reasons why things are. And we stop really caring too much. We think that by just, you know, it's us. We're, we're the end. We're the last generation. And we won't do much about anything. Become passive, complacent. And um, I think it's really dangerous. Because you know what? We don't know. We got guys, you know, there's people predicting that it's going to be 40 years from now or four days from now. But you know what? How many people have been wrong? All of them have been wrong so far. Every single one of them. And the only one who's been right about anything is Jesus Christ. That <laughs> seems to be it. And so, anyways, we'll get back to this. Verse 11. And he, I beheld another beast. Compare the notes from Revelation, uh, Revelation 3 and 1, 13 1. This was a so distinct from the first that its characteristics could be described, though, as shown in the analysis of the chapter, there was, in many points, a strong resemblance between them. The relations between the two will be more fully indicated in the notes. Coming out of the earth. Professor Stewart renders this, ascending from the land. The former was represented as rising out of the sea, Revelation 13.1, indicating that the power was so rise from the uh, perturbed and unsettled state of affairs, like the ocean. This from what was more settled and stable. As the land is more firm than the water, it may not be necessary to carry out the image, but the natural idea of applied to the two force of Roman power supposed to be here referred to would be that the former, the secular power was sustained, that sustained the papacy rose out of the agitated state of nations in the evasions of the northern hordes and the convulsion and revolutions that 
uh, fell upon or falling of the falling empire of Rome, and that the latter, or the spiritual power itself, represented by the bees coming out of the land, grew up under the more settled and stable order of things. It was comparatively claimed in its origins and had less appearance of a frightful monster rising up from the agitated ocean. Compare the notes of Revelation 13.1. What, you telling me that it didn't come up from me? North America? An unpopulated area that turns out that it wasn't unpopulated? What hypocrisy? What arrogance? What a denial of history to assume that North America was an unpopulated area. Well, disgraceful to people that uh, are from this, that in natives, Native Americans. How insulting. Yeah, I guess, you know, when the, the Mayflower showed up and the Pilgrims showed up, they, they were looking at animals, not human beings. Not to mention the fact that all of West or Eastern uh, United States, or what we call the United States today, was thoroughly and utterly managed by people. The forest and everything. The forest that we see today is nothing like it was back then. It was much more managed. In my place where I live, in Toledo, Ohio, you know, there used to be wild bison, mountain lion, bears. Maybe we even had... Uh, Carolina parakeet. In fact, if it's true, based on the documentation of the soldiers of Fort Meigs and their own research, and they're all documenting and, um, that the biomass, if you will, the amount of living animals in the water, the river, the uh, Great Lakes, uh, the swamps, the forest, and everything rivaled anything that you would find today in Alaska. That's what they say. I don't know. I do know one thing. For instance, the Maumee Bay, when they first came here, was 70 feet deep. Crystal clear. It was teeming with sturgeon and blue pike and walleye and all sorts of things. And the soldiers were so amazed they said, literally, there were so many fish that you could walk across the river on the backs of the fish. See, the example of what I'm saying is, is that what we see today is not what it was like 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And for us to neglect history and think that everything revolves around us, not only is arrogance, but is a flat-out mistake and it's disrespectful to our the people who lived before us. Now, we're not supposed to be ancestor worshipers. Respecting the past is not the same thing as worshiping our ancestors. And what has happened to us, obviously, is clearly that we have learned not to respect the past. How do you respect the past? By spending some time learning about history. You don't have to be a historian to do that, by the way. All you do is just turn off the television, stop watching the dumb box, and spend a little time reading history. You don't have to spend your whole life doing it. 
a great book to start out with would be 1492. I strongly recommend anybody to read that book because you'll start to have a clearer perspective of what it was like in the Western Hemisphere prior to Columbus showing up. And it's an amazing journey. And your eyes will be open to the reality of how things were so much different than we were told. Like everything else, it seems to be these days. And he had two horns like a lamb. In some respects, he resembled a lamb. That is, he seemed to be mild, gentle, inoffensive animal. It is hardly necessary to say that this is the most striking representation of the actual manner in which the power of the papacy has always been put forth, putting on appearance of gentleness of the lamb and laying claim to great meekness and humility, even when deposing kings and giving away crowns and driving thousands to the stake and throwing them into dungeons of the Inquisition. He spake as a dragon. Now, this is really what I find amazing is the people that were uh, part of my show were spending so much time exposing the papacy and were so blinded that they couldn't see that Revelation 13 was about the people that they were exposing, the organization that they were exposing, the one that they were exposing as the biblical historical antichrist. How can you be so blind? You know, they keep on talking about it, that arrogance. You know, I hear it over and over again. I listen to them on other shows and on about the scales of people's eyes. Do they not recognize the own scale in their own eyes? Apparently they don't. Once again, I'm not defending the United States and its behavior. I'm not saying it's the greatest things of Swiss cheese. I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying that there's nowhere in the Bible that they talk about the United States government. We are just a part of the puzzle. We're a piece of the puzzle. We are not the puzzle. And that's the reality. And this whole thing about getting on the bandwagon to knock the United States, knock the United States, knock the United States. Yes, things are going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, we're turning into the fourth Friday. Yes, our behavior and what's going on, we should be ashamed of. But unfortunately... Once again, we're not the center of the universe. And I go, maybe, maybe, maybe this is what is required. Maybe people need, this country needs to go through some, something horrendous for us to wake up to the realization that we are not the center of the universe. I'm not praying for that. I'm not hoping for that. I don't want us to suffer. I don't want us to go through what Germany went through or what Eastern Europe went through and Eastern uh Eurasia went through and what China went through and everybody else, but it seems like we're going to have to go down the same road. Maybe the reason we have to do that is wake up to what is important, that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, the Scripture, Scripture alone, and that we are not the center of the universe. That our idolatry, it seems like for most of us, is whether, uh, by the way, whether a United States, a citizen of the United States or a European, because Europeans are obsessed with us. 
in particular, their hatred towards us. They had this love-hate situation that's inbred in them. And I'm not making this up. I live there. I see the media. I see the newspapers. I see what people talk. I heard over and over again as an American, in your, whether it was England or Portugal or Spain or wherever I was, um, their hatred towards us. And it wasn't because of our freedom. It's, it wasn't because of anything we did. It was because of what they learned from their schools and from the media and from the government. But they despise us. That's the reality, folks. All I have to suggest is all you have to do is go over there and spend not a vacation, but time living there with the people, and you'll find out, this is what I found out, that it's indoctrinated, just like where we were indoctrinated to hate the Russians. That's the reality. So be very careful when you're listening to somebody who has been indoctrinated that from Europe, that you have that, you understanding in the back of your mind, when they start talking real negatively about the United States, why that is happening. Now, does the United States government deserve to be talked a little negatively about its behavior? Absolutely. Well, so does France, and so does Germany, and so does uh, Italy, and so does China, and so does Brazil, and so does Argentina. You know what? It all goes back to the dragon, to Satan, and Satan gives us political, the world, the political systems, the governments. It's power. Just as it tempted Jesus. What did Satan tempt Jesus for? All the kingdoms of the world. Just the reality. Canada, I mean, it's like Canada, our next door neighbor. Their government isn't all that great. They've done some terrible things, believe it or not. Their behavior towards Native Americans is just as bad as ours. That's just one example of many. Anyways, get back to verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. Now, that's really important to think at and think about because now he's exercising all the power of the first beast before him. The same amount of power, the same kind of power, this shows a remarkable relationship between the two beasts and proves that it was intended to refer to the same power substantially, though manifest in different forms. In the fulfillment of time, we should naturally look for some government whose authority exceeds far and which was absolute and arrogant in its character. For this is the power attributed to the first beast. See notes of Revelation 13, verses 2 through 4, Revelation 13, 7 through 8. This description had a remarkable fulfillment in the papacy. Considered as a spiritual dominion, the relation to secular power is the same as would be indicated by these two beasts. The dominion was a widespread was as widespread, the authority was as absolute and arrogant. In fact, these points they have been identical. 
The one has sustained the other. Either one would long since have fallen if the other had not been upheld by the other. The papacy, considered as the spiritual denomination, was in fact a new power starting up in the same place as the Roman dominion. To give life to that, as it was tended to decay, and to continue its ascendancy over the world. These two things in the secular spiritual power constituting the papacy is the proper sense of the term. The fact and fact are in fact but the continuance or the prolongation of the old Roman dominion, the fourth kingdom of Daniel. United so as to constitute in reality but one kingdom, and yet so distinct in their origin, in their manifestations, as to be capable of separation, contemplation, and description, and thus properly represented by the two beasts in, that were shown in division to John and causes the world and down which dwell therein to worship the first beast, that is, to respect, to reverence, to honor. The word worship here refers to civil respect and not to religious adoration. See the notes of Revelation 13.4. The meaning here, according to the interpretation proposed all along this chapter, is that the papacy considers in its religious influence or as spiritual power represented by the second beast secured for the civil and secular power represented by the first beast, the homage of the world. It was the means of keeping up that dominion and by giving its ascendancy among the nations of the earth. The truth of this as an historical fact is well known the Roman civil power would have long ago lost all of its influence and been unknown if it had not been for the papacy. And in fact, all the influences or influence which it has had since the eruption of the northern barbarians and the changes which their invasion produced can be traced to the new power which arose in the form of the papacy, represented in Daniel uh, 7-8 by the little horn. The new power gave life and energy to the declining influence of Rome and brought the world again to respect and honor its authority, whose deadly wound was healed. See all the notes of Revelations 13-3, that is, was healed by the influence of the new power represented by the second beast, a state of things occurred to rise that the new power as of a wound in the head, otherwise fatal, was healed. The striking applicability of this to the decaying Roman power smitten as with a deadly wound by the blows inflicted by the northern hordes which, and by internal dissensions will occur to everyone, it was as if the he, a healing process had been imparted by some life-giving power, and as a consequence, the Roman dominion, the prolongation of Daniel's fourth kingdom, has continued to the present time. Other kingdoms passed away, 
the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the, the Macedonians, Rome alone, all of the ancient empires has prolonged its power over men. In all changes elsewhere, an influence has gone forth from the seven-hilled city as wide as fearful as it was in its brightest days of the Republic. The uh, triumvirate or the empire and a large part of the world still listens reverently to the mandates which issue from the seat which so long gave law to mankind. The fact that it is so is to be traced solely to the influence of that power represented here by the second beast that appeared in the vision to John, the papacy. So I'm going to stop this recording and be back in half an hour to finish it up if anybody's interested. And if you're not, I don't blame you. But the biggest thing is, is to understand whether it's the Jesuits, Roman Catholic Church, the clergy, the papacy, we're all talking about this. Let's just remember, the Revelation 13 is talking about this institution. God is more important, is more interested in that than one little country. You know we're not a little country right now. But the way course is going, the way the, the, the way things are going as far as this country and jobs being shipped away and we're losing our rights and everything else is going on. Uh, at the end of the day, we could be just one more country. That's the intentions anyways. Isn't that part of the New World Order? To crush this country and make it no more different than anybody else, just another part of the puzzle of the New World Order, the Holy Roman Empire. That's the whole goal along. It was never to raise this country up to become above everybody else. It was to bring it down to keep it forever having that opportunity. That's the reality. So while people are chasing after a straw man, that being the United States government, the real guys, the real responsibility, the real corporate and all this, uh, it's right here. It's what we're reading about. It's the papacy. This is not about being bigoted. This is not about being a, uh, a jerk about things. It's just how history is. This is how the world really is. And as much as we'd like to think that we're so important, we aren't. And the world's demonstrating that. Look at this. We're like trillions of dollars in debt. All the jobs are shipped overseas. We're stretched beyond imagination. We're at the breaking point. Most One-third of everybody doesn't even have a job who's of working age. Look how many of our sick and impoverished. It's a joke. We need to let go of this. We need to let go of the fact that we are not the center of the universe. In fact, Rome isn't the center of the universe. And papacy isn't the center of the universe. Jesus Christ is the center of the universe. No. Our God is the center of the universe. 
God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's our center. That's supposed to be the center of our universe, not the United States government, not the papacy. The only reason we're bringing this up is to remind people the fact that it has nothing to do with this country, that our enemy really is not this country, although it's behaving that way, and there are many people that suffer injustice from this country. The big picture is the big picture, and we are not the big picture. We're just part of the big picture. I know it's really hard for people to accept because we've been raised our lives to think otherwise. It's either the United States or it's Israel. It's very clever. It's very clever of Rome what they're doing to us and everyone else. Pay attention to anything and everything but them. Very clever. Anyways, I'll get back to doing recording in a little bit. Well, guest six, uh, I wish you were still there. I apologize for that. Guest six, you're right. Unfortunately, you're gone. Guest five, thanks for staying there. I'm sorry. Um, And you're right, my friend. Uh, I wish guest six were still there because you're right. This land is your land. This land is my land. Like hell it is. And you're right. Uh, this this is not America anymore. It belongs to the global conglomerates with the best politician money can buy. And all of it leads to Rome, folks. If you believe the Bible, you have to accept the fact that the Bible says that's where it leads to. Uh, you don't have to, but you should. I mean, the Bible is telling you. The Word of God is telling you what the fourth and final empire is going to be. It's not the United States. It's Rome. How is it that the people that were with me on this show can miss that. I don't understand that. The only thing I could think of is that people have this ingrained hate, and so they got to vent it on somebody, so they vent it on this country. Or anybody. How about everybody's guilty? We're all a bunch of sinners. We're all awful. You know what? That's true. But thank you for the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. You know what? There's hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Good grief. Anyways, uh, yeah, I wanna, I'm going to take a break because we've been going at it for two hours. We'll be back in half an hour to finish up this recording, and then we'll be done with this. And anybody, once again, who claims that I am using my own private interpretation, could you please knock it off? And if you can, if you've been enough, maybe you'll retract the statement. And if you don't, you don't. At least know that I'm not using my own private interpretation. As I haven't done, and the show, for the majority of it, I have been using other people's resources and information. Have I been wrong about many things? Yes, I have. I try to correct them. And if anybody else hears something that I'm wrong about, I hope they help me out in my correction. And if they don't, the Holy Spirit will. That's what I'm discovering. So anyways, God bless and talk to you a little bit.